Voices, a fresh perspective on voting, politics, and power. Hey everyone, welcome back to our returning podcast listeners, and hello to our new listeners. Today we've got a really amazing episode on the Crown Act. Plus, we're joined with Representative Joanna McClinton to talk more about what this act is and what changes it means for the future of Pennsylvania. Since serving in 2015, Representative McClinton became the first African-American woman to be elected as House Democratic Caucus Chair in 2018 and House Democratic Leader in 2020. Since September of last year, she has been fighting to establish legislation in Pennsylvania similar to the Crown Act that will further eliminate discrimination based on natural heritages. So, before we get into our conversation with Representative McClinton, let's talk about what the Crown Act is a little bit. The House of Representatives has recently passed what is called the Crown Act that works toward eliminating discrimination towards people based on their hair type. This act has already been implemented in seven states and is now being reviewed in our own state of Pennsylvania. This new act holds a lot of potential for change, and we cannot wait to dive deeper into it. Hello, Representative McClinton, and thank you for meeting with the PA Youth Voices crew today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right, so to get started with a couple of questions that we wanted to ask you, I was someone who was previously unaware of the Crown Act. Can you please tell us and our listeners what exactly the act is and what Crown stands for? Absolutely. So CROWN stands for creating a respectful, open world for natural hair. And essentially what it would do here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is amend the Human Relations Code, which is currently the part of Pennsylvania's law that outlines what is discrimination, what are the categories, and there is not currently a category for your hair your hairstyle, your natural hair, how you show up. And because we've seen students discriminated against for athletic competitions, different uh, things from as swim teams, I've seen students have uh, complaints or even um, the young man in New Jersey who was trying to compete in a soccer, or excuse me, a wrestling match. And uh, he quickly decided to allow the referee to cut his locks in front of the whole world. I mean, that was a really horrendous situation. And as all of you running the PA youth vote continue to explore career opportunities we don't want anyone at a workplace to say oh we're not giving you this opportunity because of the way you choose to wear your natural hair and they might not say it explicitly but because the law doesn't protect you against that yet we are changing the law in Pennsylvania so that that will be a protection and hopefully also a deterrent for them discriminating against people Yes, that was very informative. Thank you for that response. So you kind of got into it a little bit with, you know, your examples of people uh, facing discrimination students. So I guess it kind of answers the question, but you could go a little bit more in depth or maybe more personal, but like, why did you introduce the Crown Act? And what about this act speaks out to you the most? Absolutely. So I'll start with the personal. I was always very self-conscious about the way I wore my hair to work. I'm an attorney. And when I first started my career, I worked as a public defender for almost 10 years. And 
because I was young, I wasn't like a teenager, but I was fresh out of law school. So everybody would say, you look young. How old are you? You old enough to be my lawyer? I would be very intentional about wearing my hair and what I thought was professional. I would always wear it pressed out in a wrap, never would change it. I never wore braids to cord. I never wore an Afro in that time. And the reason why I made those decisions were because a lot of people of color, particularly young women, are often trying to make sure that they are presenting themselves in a professional way and not subject to harassment, discrimination. And because uh, this story is not unique to myself, but my friends in law school were thinking about how are you gonna wear your hair to this interview? How are you gonna wear your hair to work for this judge? How are you gonna wear your hair to this law firm? It's a common uh, theme. You even see people you know, fast forward and to give you some point of reference, this is over 15 years ago. So I did have friends that wore their hair naturally, but it was not as common as it is today. And now fast forward for the last five years, I've worn my hair without any heat. So I don't have it straightened and I don't uh, wear it straightened like hardly ever. Um, it's always usually in some sort of uh, more natural style with curls or an Afro or twist out or something of that nature. So since I realized like the journey I've been on being comfortable in my hair, I know that there are so many other women and men that have the same struggle, the same internal battle. Should I lock? If I lock, will I get an internship? Will I get a job? So it was very important that as I saw other states starting to adopt it, that we present it here in Pennsylvania so that we could even start having the hard conversation that yes, people face discrimination because of their hair. That's really interesting. And personally, I never ever had to think about that. So thank you for sharing your story. I think it's a great perspective and should definitely be considered. Yeah, so now that we know that obviously you are a very avid advocate and supporter of the Crown Act, how have your colleagues in Harrisburg supported the act? So I'm co-sponsoring the bill with a colleague who's on the other side of the state. I know that your youth organization engages young people across the state. Representative Summer Lee serves the 34th district right outside of the city of Pittsburgh, but in Allegheny County. And Representative Lee uh, similarly proudly wears her natural curls um, to work. And she is a co-sponsor and doing the bill with me as the lead, but we've been able to just introducing the bill have so many interviews from printed press to television interviews, even some of the local stations in Harrisburg that are asking questions like, is this even an issue? So the first thing we've been able to do in just about under a year since we first introduced it is have the conversation. This is an issue. It doesn't occur for everybody. It doesn't happen to many people, but this is an issue in communities of color. And we've also been able to get some of our colleagues in the House to join the bill. And in the Senate, State Senator Vincent Hughes is the lead sponsor over in that chamber with the same exact. And yeah, I totally agree that this needs something that needs to be raised conversation about, about just natural hairstyles and the struggles that people of color are facing with accepting their own hair. So when proposing the Crown Act, were there any similar acts or events that really inspired it? There is a national movement uh, led by a few different uh, business corporate sponsors. So I actually just got a nice sweatshirt from Dove um, because they're a corporate sponsor trying to get this law changed in states. But there are lots of incidents. I know to get Dove more involved with this issue, 
unfortunately they had a big mishap with one of their tv commercials which could have been interpreted to suggest that darker skin tone is not appropriate and so as a result you know they changed a lot of their uh, makeup of their corporate leadership team and they began to get involved with causes like this and they have a very large national international platform because of their products and they are really leading to just ask other legislative bodies and states to be able to pass it. We're up to seven now from California to New York uh, State to Connecticut. Uh, so many states have passed it and we are hoping that Pennsylvania will join in to the other. That's very interesting that you brought up Dove because actually like our next question is kind of about the black hair care industry and just your perspective on, you know, how much, how popular um, natural black hair has become and now, you know, companies hopping onto it. And I guess my question is just like, do you think it's hard to find black owned hair care? Um, and like, you know, how do you navigate that? So I definitely think it is difficult to find black owned hair care products. One of the things that happens a lot when a product is great and it is being done, you know, on a small manufacturing basis is that a larger company will make an offer and say, hey, we'll sell it with the same products and we'll buy it. And so you've seen a lot of transition and I don't want to name a lot of brands, but you've seen transitions and you also see that the products are different and they've changed. So it is exciting though, I'll have to admit when I'm not in a hair store, I'm in a regular drugstore, and I'm seeing like so many mainstream companies have natural hair products. So if I'm in CVS, right, a Target and, and they have like different uh, levels of gels and twist creams and things like that, it's pretty exciting to me because they know that you know the black hair care business is a billion dollar industry <laughs> and seeing um, so many women um, you know having options with how they choose to put, put wear their hair um, I'm glad to see that there are more products being developed but we definitely need to have better uh, space and opportunity for uh, black owned hair care businesses that's a great point and going um, off of that, what what do you want? What impact do you want to make with the Crown Act, and like how how do you want to carry out that? So I want us to get to a point as a society where um, someone's hairstyle is not a discussion point, and you know the law will hopefully change this year, but I can't tell you that my hair will not be a discussion point. And I'll just give one example. I was interviewed recently um, along with the Senate Majority Leader, who's all a woman and because of their platform you know I could hear her interview and see it um, and then you know she could hear and see mine as well and you know the first thing that the reporter asked me was how was my hair this week and I was really offended by that question because he didn't ask the other woman majority leader how her hair was and so I didn't get into it with him because it was a part of the interview and it was only going to be like two minutes, but I definitely followed up on his cell phone. Like, if you're not trying to be insensitive to my culture, then I don't think you should lead with how's my hair this week. Why is it a discussion point? Like, you know, whether I have hair, whether I have none, whether I've shaved it, whether it's down or up. And he's like, oh, you know, I wasn't trying to be funny. You know, you just always have so many different ones. It's like, but you didn't ask 
the other woman that. So it's clear there's something about me and my hair that made it a discussion point. So I want this law to pass as soon as possible. And I want us to get to a point in society where all of the comments, whether they're snarky, whether they're rude, whether they are coming from a pure place, that they're just not even made because it shouldn't even be something we're talking about. You're not talking about the hair of a white woman, so why are you bringing up my hair into an interview? Or we're supposed to be talking about legislation. And that brings up a really good point. Like as we've observed, making these types of changes haven't always been smooth sailing. When pushing for the Crown Act itself to really go into effect, what obstacles have you faced and how have you really gotten around them? Well, essentially, because I am a member of the Democratic Caucus and this is a bill between myself, Representative Lee, and then in the Senate Democratic Caucus as well, our caucuses are in the minority. And what that simply means is the majority caucus decide which bills will run every time we're in Harrisburg. And I'm not able to help the Crown Act. I have to persuade the majority leader to get it out and then to bring it up to the floor of, to the full house for a vote on the floor. And so I wouldn't call it an obstacle, but it is really the challenge that all of my legislation I present offers. It's just a political situation, but sooner than later, there's always times when the majority party asks for support on certain issues. And you can usually use those moments as times to say, well, hey, what about these legislative priorities? Can you bring them up for a vote? Can we get them in? Um, and then also we have to just be creative to see if there's another way we can amend the human relations code uh, during the budget process. So that's also a thought. So stay tuned. Hopefully we can come back with some good information and pictures from a bill signing. Yes, we definitely will stay tuned and maybe we'll pull up to Harrisburg. So I guess that's like a question. Would that be helpful, you know, having like a rally day, having PA youth vote there? Not only just for, you know, the Crown Act, but sure there's other acts too and things that we could support. Because that's something our group wants to do is, you know, have a field trip because we have a lot of people, you know, around the state, but we can all unite in one place. And so I don't know, like, is that, what do you think? I don't know. This is a question I'm just coming up with, but like, what do you think would be most helpful from, I guess, your constituents, or not even just your constituents, just people across PA to push this? Other, I mean, I guess, yeah. So I love that question. And even the idea as you're just thinking out loud, I think the PA youth vote, vote uh, coming to the Capitol, even if you have a full agenda of legislative things you'd like to rally for, advocate for, lobby for. I think that's an excellent idea. And I definitely think it should happen um, as you know the time is available. A lot of the main events are having to happen outside due to the, the limits on crowds. But you know, even as the springtime comes, there may be limits lifted and we may be able to have a rally inside the building. But I think that your voices are integral to the legislative process. So many of you all are, you know, getting people participating in the voting process or voting in the process yourself. And I think that there is no better person to, you know, tell their legislator this is important rather than one of their newest voters. Like, why not you all? Why not your voices? Your voices are very key and critical. Yes, it's so exciting, like everything opening back up and us just getting to go outside. I'm so excited. So I guess like with everything opening up and summer coming up, like what natural, what's your favorite natural hairstyle to rock? And like, what do you, you know, what are you excited about rocking this summer, I guess? 
wow, I don't really think about it in that way. <laughs> but the person who, uh, the, the um, braid stylist that I go to, I have to book appointments early. So I will share that I'll have some knotless braids coming up in a couple of months. Her schedule is so busy. I always have to book a couple months ahead. And I was thinking about getting some locks in May, but because I just came out of these twists, I think I need to give my hair a little bit of a break. So I am uh, heavy on the gels and I'm going to be trying some uh, wash and goes. I'm going to try to make myself do one every week in June. <laughs> and we can judge and see if they're, if the routine is getting better or if it's the same, <laughs> if I can get some more definition or if I need to just let my hairdresser be in charge of how my hair is presented. <laughs> yes, I definitely understand because washing goes are not easy. And that's and that is an illusion for other people who don't know. Like it's definitely not wash and go. So I think that leads us right into our next question, really just about what advice would you give to all of our listeners who are going through their own hair journeys and are struggling to really accept their own natural hair or just finding what suits them best in our world today? Very good question, Anika. So the biggest key is to be yourself. I think I have no idea how, what I, how I would have coped with being a teenager and a young adult and social media being as pervasive as it is today. I did not grow up uh, mostly with the internet, <laughs> believe it or not. We didn't get the internet till I was in like 11th grade. So, you know, the idea of being inundated with images of beauty and who looks good and what hair looks great and should I get a lace front wig or should I go blonde or should I get streaks or should I do a twist out? I mean, it's a lot of pressure that you all are not just only dealing with, but having a platform like this to discuss the journey and making sure you're not inundated by the pressure of society. My encouragement to anybody who's listening and trying to figure out how you want to look is it's make it your choice. Don't let it be Beyonce's. And I love Beyonce, but I, I'm never gonna be her and I'm never gonna look like her. So for me to try to wear, wear one of her wigs to work, people would think I was being ridiculous and looking ridiculous. So I'm gonna just be me. And sometimes as that reporter noted, it does change. You know, one month it might be braids, knotless braids another month it might be an afro another week it might be just a regular twist out but the key is being you don't let anyone on the internet or even anybody in real life define how you should present yourself to the world like this is your journey you're an individual you're not a carbon copy of someone off of instagram or tiktok be yourself look wonderful and be confident in how you decide you want to present yourself to the world and that applies to every aspect of your life just to be yourself. Before we wrap up, Representative McClinton, is there anything else you want to add? I just want to thank you all for all your work with the engagement in the, the democratic process. I saw you all uh, on the news um, often, uh, registering people to vote, getting them excited to vote last fall and again in May. People don't always pay attention after the presidential, but I am incredibly proud of you all. You all are doing tremendous work and it's just exciting to me because by this time you're my age, <laughs> 20 more years, you know, I can't wait to see you all and the roles you'll have and give you my vote. I'm just so proud of you all and I'm appreciative for a few minutes to be on your show. Thank you.
that wraps up really what the Crown Act is about and what it you know represents and what we hope it you know will it, the impact it will have on our society and have on us and not and you know our confidence and just not having to worry about other people and their perceptions their thoughts um, because it, it will be protected by the law um, we just hope that you know anyone who's listening has learned something that's what podcasts are for learning something from someone else learning something from one of your representatives today um and maybe you know show up with us at harrisburg so we can fight for um this is part of equity and inclusion in our communities um and the journey of natural hair acceptance across our whole country but um, starting in our own state it's the hedge we love talking to representative mcclinton and learn more about the crown act and why it's so important i'm going to be going over some overview information about the crown act and expand on what we previously learned so crown stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair in january of 2019 the crown act coalition and the dove body care company teamed up to launch this crown act creating a law that prohibits race-based hair discrimination this type of discrimination is the unjust and prejudice against people based on their hair textures, type, and protective style. And this is nothing new. Race hair discrimination has been along for a long time, but we will touch onto that um, a little bit later. This type of discrimination takes place in many forms and more prominently in denial of employment and educational opportunity due to one's hair, braids, locks, twists, or bantu knots. After its creation over two years ago, the Crown Act was officialized as of July of 2019. Now, the Crown Act Coalition is working alongside legislatures across the nation to have this act passed in all 50 states. So now I am going to give you a little bit insight into the act's status in Congress. This act would constitute a huge change for people all over the United States. Hair-based discrimination has affected a lot of people, and this act speaks to the calls for reform that those facing unfair treatment based on their hair would face. As we mentioned before, the Crown Act was passed in 2019, and it's working its way throughout the states. On July 3rd, 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the act in law, where it officially went into effect the following January of 2020. The act passed through the House of Representatives the same year, on September 21st, 2020, California was the first U.S. state to officially approve of this law when it was first introduced by Senator Holly J. Mitchell in January of 2019. Since then, the Crown Act has been put into effect by six more states, New York, New Jersey, Washington, Colorado, Virginia, and finally, Maryland, all by July of 2020. Currently, the act has been revised from its original proposition in 2019. The act now establishes that hairstyles affiliate with one's race are to be legally permitted in schools, workshops, and workplaces. This entails that the management or other members in charge of these locations cannot ask people to change their natural hairstyle. So let's get into the history of natural hair and the discrimination that we've seen in the past. The history of the black hair reaches far back in our country, and sadly, so too does its accompanying discrimination. In the 1700s, Black women in Louisiana were known to wear their hair in elaborate styles, attracting the attention of white men. 
in order to diminish excessive attention to dress among women of color, Spanish colonial governor Don Esteban Miro enacted the Tignon Laws, which required Creole women of color to wear a Tignon or a scarf or handkerchief to cover their hair as a way to indicate that they belonged to the slave class, despite the fact that some of these women were in fact free. Flash forward to 1964, where the Civil Rights Act was passed during the Civil Rights Movement, becoming a significant milestone in the fight for equality. It banned employment discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. But the law still left it up to the courts to decide what constitutes racial discrimination. So when Beverly Jenkins was told by her Blue Cross and Blue Shield employer that she could never represent the Blue Cross with her Afro, she raised up discrimination lawsuits. In her landmark Jenkins versus a Blue Cross Mutual Hospital Insurance case of 1976, it was determined that Afros are protected under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. The Afro hairstyle, which emerged in the 1960s during the Civil Rights Movement, became a symbol of rebellion, pride, and empowerment. Despite the progress made, federal courts have persisted in excluding protection against hair-based discrimination because they consider it a characteristic that can be changed, again, leaving it up to individual courts to decide. It disregards the fact that historically and culturally, braids, twists, and locks have been closely aligned with Black people, further reiterating the bias that Eurocentric features should be the societal norm in appearance. Thank you, Anika. So it's Shayla, and I'm going to continue with the history of natural hair discrimination. Um, however, this type of bias is what led to intoleration of other cultures and thus hair practices. In early African civilizations, hairstyles served as served a very symbolic and functional role to the person wearing it. A hairstyle can indicate anything from a person's familial background to their tribe, their social status, and even and even their spiritual affiliation in some cases. As journalist Lori Tharp saying, many believe their hair, given its close location to the skies, was the conduit for spiritual interaction with God. Just about everything about a person's identity could be learned by looking at their hair. Tharps elaborates more on her work in her co-written book, Hair Story, about the history of Black hair. During the 19th century, slavery was abolished throughout much of the world. However, of course, um, people still had to live with the vestiges of slavery. Many Black people felt pressure to fit in with mainstream uh, white society and had to, as um, Representative McClinton pointed out, um, couldn't get jobs. Um, so sub subsequently, they had to, a lot of them had to adjust their hair to, you know, to even to even sweep somebody's floor, adjust their hair. Um, and so this is when um, chemical mixtures came out um, that Black people used. And, you know, we all know, well, not all of us, but some people know, you know, that these, these mixtures a lot of times burnt people's scalps and they destroyed people's hair. A lot of people who used perms, which is the, you know, the other word for these chemical mixtures, lost a lot of their hair. Um, and, you know, it took away what made, what makes black hair um, unique. And it made it more to look more European and silky because that's what society has, has, 
you know, perpetuated through the media, has perpetuated through books, has perpetuated through laws. And so the Crown Act is really trying to do the opposite and say, no, there's nothing wrong with those, with that, with that thick hair and um, that's not silky and that's not Eurocentric. So as we progress into the 21st century, um, of course, awareness has increased leading black hair care to become a major industry because a lot of people are rocking their black hair. So now they need products. They need combs to comb that hair because now they can comb their hair since they're not using perms. Um, and so it's estimated to be worthy of uh, worthy of billions of dollars. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the podcast of who is getting these billions of dollars. So that's something for our listeners to think about. Like, you know, maybe you want to start a hair care business and, um, you know, it doesn't take much. A lot of these hair cares, um, a lot of the hair care is made out of like natural products and stuff. So anyway, I'm getting too deep into it. But you guys get that there's a lot of history with the Crown, with the Crown Act and just natural hair care, natural hair discrimination. Um, and we just touched the surface of it. So I'm going to kick it over to Sahaj to um, wrap us up. That's a great point, Shayla. If you guys were interested in the Crown Act, be sure to follow up on its progress in the House of Representatives. And and as always, for more information, visit our website, payouthvote.org, and follow us on Instagram at payouthvote for civic education updates. See you next time. This is Sahaj from PA Youth Voices signing off. Voices can be heard on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, and online at gtownradio.com the second and fourth Thursdays of the month at 6 p.m. Thanks, guys, for listening in.